James chapter 4, in the word of the Lord, James chapter 4, beginning with verse 11. James 4, 11, through James 4, 17. Thank God for his awesome word. Amen. All right, verse 11. If you have it, say praise the Lord. Okay, James says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a what? A judge. Verse 12. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Amen. And then he goes into another area. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get, and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is what? Evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. Give you all thanks for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. All right, please go over to Leviticus 19. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 19. And these are the scriptures that James is referring to. Leviticus 19, verse 15 and 16. Amen. Leviticus 19, 15 and 16. Okay, ye shall do no unrighteousness in what? Judgment. Notice how he puts it. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. You see that? He didn't say no judgment. He said it has to be a righteous judgment. Verse 16. Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. You see that? So he's teaching here against gossiping and bringing a judgment against our brothers and our sisters. Okay? Go back to the book of James, please. Verse 11 again, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother, and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Title of the message this morning, Ignoring God's Law. Ignoring God's Law. Okay? Now the Bible is very clear here. It says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. Okay? 
He that speaketh of his uh, speaketh evil of his brethren judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. Now, what this is talking about is the Greek word here that is used, kataleo, means to speak falsely. Okay, so we probably most of us have been around church a long time, and we've heard that statement you know, that's made: "Don't judge anybody." You know, you probably heard somebody say to you, "Don't judge anybody." We're not supposed to judge anybody. Um, when James talks about judging one another or judging brothers in the Lord, he's not talking about a judgment that is a righteous judgment. Amen. He's talking about a false, the word in the Greek, kataleo, he's talking about a false judgment. So there are things that have to be corrected, wrongdoing that has to be corrected. If there's false doctrine that comes, that has to be judged. That has to be corrected. Okay? If there's wrongdoing in the life, that has to be judged. That has to be corrected. So what James is talking about here is if you and I put ourselves in a position and it's personal, doesn't have anything to do with God, but it's a personal thing where we become a critic or a gossiper over our brothers and our sisters. Okay? That's what he's talking about. We're not to be a talebearer. That means a gossiper. Uh, when you bring a judgment, it must be a righteous judgment and it must be based on the Word of God. But let me say this. Even when you do it that way, when you bring a judgment that is a judgment from the Word of God, if somebody says, well, you're judging me, that is incorrect. Let me, let me explain what I mean. When the Word of God is declared, if it judges somebody as being evil or wrong, then that's not against the Bible. See, James, when he preaches, and we're going to see this in a minute, James is, is passing judgment on certain people. And he's passing judgment on certain people in the church. So he's not talking about not passing judgment at all on anybody at any time. He's talking about slander. He's talking about gossiping or, or judging people falsely. You're lying about them. You're destroying their reputation. You're gossiping about them. It doesn't have anything to do with about a righteous judgment correcting that which is wrong or a judgment that comes from the Word of God. So really, if we come and we bring the Word of God to you like James does, then there is a judgment that comes upon the evil or the wrong that would be in our lives. That's not what he's talking about here. Amen. Do you understand that? So if somebody comes with the Word of God and the Word of God says something's wrong and then you are giving the Word of God to that person and you're telling them this is wrong or this is right and it's based on the Word of God, it's not you judging. It's God's Word that's judging them. All you're doing is telling them the judgments of God. You're not putting yourself on the throne and making yourself God. You are saying, this is what God's Word says. Amen. And if you tell them it's wrong based on what the Bible says, you're not judging them. Amen. It's God's Word that is judging them through you. Does that make sense? So this idea today 
that we're not supposed to ever judge anybody or anything that doesn't come from the Bible. And a lot of people use this passage in the book of James to try to justify that. We're not supposed to ever judge anybody. That is totally wrong. Amen. That comes from a false theology. There must be judgment on wrongdoing. There must be judgment on false doctrine. Amen. And that's what James does. He's going to talk about things that we should not be doing. He's passing judgment on the church. All right. You with me here today? So if God judges something that's different from you and I putting yourself in a position of being God and judging a situation and it's false. Does everybody understand that? Where you are slandering somebody. Now, James goes on and says that if we do this, if we slander somebody or we don't have a righteous judgment in our life, it's not based on the Word of God, then what he says is you are putting yourself above the law of God. You're actually becoming a judge over the law of God. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, because God said that you and I are not, not to slander each other. We are not to be a talebearer, gossiping about each other. Because God said that in His law. If I do that and I say, ah, you know, I don't have to obey that. Right? I don't think I have to obey that. When you put yourself in a position of choosing what commandments in the Word of God to obey or to disobey, then you become a judge of the law of God instead of the law of God being a judge over you. Wow. There are a lot of people in the church today that do that. That they pick and choose from the Word of God what they're going to obey and what they're not going to obey. And when you do that, you become a judge over the law of God Himself. Amen? Now, how many here want to put yourself in a position of judging the law of God when you know the law of God judges us. Right? Praise the Lord. So if I'm picking and choosing what I want to obey and what I don't want to obey, then I'm literally putting myself above the law of God. I'm ignoring the law of God in my life. I'm picking and choosing what I want to believe, what I don't want to believe, what I'm going to obey, or what I'm not going to obey. Okay? So I may look at this and I may say, well... Leviticus 19 talks about not gossiping. It talks about not judging my brothers unrighteously. But, eh, you know, that's the law, but I can still do it. Well, then what happens is now you have become a judge over God's law because you're saying, this is what I believe and this is what I don't believe. This is what I'm going to obey and this is what I'm not going to obey. So it's people picking and choosing from the Word of God what they're going to obey or disobey. So then they put themselves over the Word of God. Amen. You understand? Now, you may go to some churches, and I'm not going to be negative this morning, but you may go to some churches and they'll say, we're not under the law. So you don't have to worry about keeping the commandments of God. You can still go to heaven. You know. Well, they completely misinterpret the Bible theologically. When the Bible talks about we're not under the law, that means you're not under the law of condemnation. If you're a believer, Jesus Christ died for you on that cross. But you and I are still under the law of God as far as His requirements upon our life to obey His commands. If you don't obey the Word of God, you're never going to be in heaven. Amen? So here we see James quoting the law. 
Now, how is it in the New Testament age if we're no longer under the law? We're not supposed to obey any of the commandments? How is it then that James quotes from the law? You see? So what we have is churches today, even preachers that stand in the pulpits, are judges of the law. They speak evil of the law. That means that they are, going, they are determining what is right and what is wrong for their congregation. And they say, well, you can do this and you can do that. We don't, you know, it's all, we're, we're not trying to be legalistic here. See, what they've done is they've decided, they pick and choose from the Bible what they're going to obey and not obey. And when you do that, you become, you make yourself to be God himself. You put yourself on the throne of God and you're the one that decides what is right and what is wrong. And so what James is saying here, this was going on in the church in his day. There were people coming in and they were slandering each other. They were gossiping about each other in the church. They were judging unrighteous judgment in the church. And James says, don't you realize when you do that that you're putting yourself up as the lawgiver? You're putting yourself over the Word of God? Because the Word of God said not to do that. The Word of God said there's a certain way that I treat my brother and my sister. I don't slander them. I don't gossip about them. I don't try to destroy their reputation. I don't speak evil of them. Amen? Amen? Because if I do that, then I'm in violation of the law. But if I say, well, you know, there's some things in the law that God didn't talk about my neighbor. There's some things in the law that, that God didn't put in His law that I know about my neighbor, and I'm going to talk about those things. Amen? I'm going to be the one that decides and determines what is right and what is wrong in relationship to everybody else. And that's what he's talking about here. And God's Word says, don't do that. So if we do that, if we gossip and we slander and make ourselves judges unrighteously, gossip and slander, then God says you are literally disobeying the Word of God. Therefore, you put yourself above the Word of God. Amen in your life. So we can't pick and choose from the Word of God what we want to obey and what we don't want to obey. So we have to judge, but it's going to have to be a righteous judgment and it's based on the Word of God. So let's go on and let's see. James is going to talk about this. He's going to show us an example. Okay? Amen. Verse 13. How do we ignore the law? Well, we ignore the law. We disobey God's law. We put ourselves judges over the law of God. Make ourselves better by picking and choosing. By slandering our brothers and sisters. Then he talks about another way that we ignore the law of God. Okay? Verse 13. Go to now. Now that's interesting, isn't it? James says, go to now. That is a very powerful, strong statement when he says, go to now. What he's saying is, you need to wake up. Go to now. Wake up. He said, listen to what I'm about to say. And James is fixing to pass some judgment on some people in the church and it's a righteous judgment and he shows how people are not only ignoring the law of God in the area of relationships by slandering each other speaking evil of each other but also how people violate ignore the law of God in just business practices in life okay 
So he uses this very term, very strong term, go to now. That means wake up, listen. James says, what I'm about to tell you is very, very important. Okay? And he'll say that also in uh, chapter 5 when we get to that. Alright, so how, how, what's another way that we can ignore the law of God? He says, go to now, ye say, or ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. So what's he, what's he condemning here? Well, he's showing you that you can ignore God's law, God's word, and God by saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I'm completely ignoring God in my life. I don't acknowledge God. It's not about the will of God in my life. It's about what I want to do. Okay? So James says, wake up and listen. You are denying. You are rejecting the sovereignty of God. You're rejecting His rule in your life when you plan plans without God. Everybody with me? What does he mean by that? Does he mean that we should never plan plans? How many of y'all plan plans? Yeah, it's, it's, we have to plan plans. Amen. If you're a businessman, you, you may have a day planner. Or if you're going to school, you've got to plan that out. He's not telling us not to plan in life. It is important for us to plan. What he's talking about is don't leave God out of your plans. See? He's talking about people who uh, reject the sovereignty of God in their life and make their own decisions. Have you ever heard somebody say, you need to make your own mind up. You need to decide for yourself what you want to do. Amen? Make up your own mind. You know, that's, that's where we are today as far as modern churchianity is people will tell you, you decide for yourself what you want to do. You make up your own mind what you want to do. Don't let anybody tell you what to do. You make up your own mind. Amen. Okay. Or let's say somebody's, they'll tell you, well, uh, in relationships, do you like her? Do you like him? Do you like each other? That's good enough. If you like each other and you have, have some common, you know, likes, then get married. Never talk about the will of God. Amen. And this is what James is talking about. Is you've got somebody that go to now. He says, you say today or tomorrow. They have their own schedule. You with me? They have their own schedule in life. They decide for themselves. Without God. Who they're going to marry. They decide where they're going to work. They decide where they're going to go to school. They decide where they're going to live. Everything in life, they choose for themselves. They never ask God. They never go to God and say, God, what is your will in my life? They use that humanistic approach that leaves God out. It says, I'm going to make up my own mind. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to go where I want to go. So they're making their own schedule. Amen? So he says, Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. With me? Now when we look at that, that doesn't sound really all that bad, does it? 
Really, when we look at it, okay, I'm not asking you to lift your hand, but when you look at it, it doesn't really sound all, that, sound all that bad, does it? To plan plans. This businessman says, I'm going to go to this city tomorrow. This is the schedule. And so I'm determining um, my schedule. I'm determining where I'm going to go. I determine when I get there what I'm going to do when I get there. And he says, I'm going to get game. Doesn't sound like too big, too big of a deal, does it? That's the way the world lives, don't they? They, they, they think in their minds. They don't, they don't go to God and seek God's will. They think in their minds, uh, based on logic, reason, and judgment, what's best, the, the best decision to make, you know, and, and just go and do what you think is right and never seek God. Not one time. What is, don't ask God, God, what is your will in my life? Don't even ask God because God is not in the picture. It's about what I want to do. It's about where I want to go. And when I get there, this is my plans when I get there. And in this verse, the Bible says, their plans is to get gain. Now that doesn't sound, I'm just going to repeat myself, that doesn't sound like too bad of an idea. Because businessmen travel, don't they? They travel. So it doesn't sound like a big deal to say, okay, well I'm going to go to a certain place tomorrow and uh, I'm going to get there and this is how long I'm going to be there. And this is my goal when I get there is to get gain. No big deal, right? It is if you leave God out. It is if you're making all, all the decisions for your life and you don't seek the counsel of God. The reason why it's such a big deal is because you're saying, I'm ignoring you, God. I don't need you to tell me what to do, God. I know what's best for me. Amen. Do you, do you understand if you don't seek God and you just make your decisions without seeking the will of God and, you know, your plans are planned and this is what your goals are and you don't ever seek God, do you understand that that could cost you years of pain? It can call, and we'll look at it the latter part. He talks about it's evil. That means it's going to bring harm to your life. Because you didn't seek God, you didn't, you didn't pray to God and talk to God about this and find out what His will for you was. You just jumped off in there and did your own thing. And then all these problems came. All this trouble came. All this harm came to your life because you didn't seek the Lord. If you, if you and I do not seek God in our lives, it may cause pain and suffering and all kinds of trouble, harm in your life for not just a month or two, but maybe years. Years of destruction and devastation and problems that can come to your life if you don't seek God. See? So, again, it doesn't sound like too big of a deal for somebody to plan to go here and how long they're going to be there when they get there and the purpose of going is to get gain. Doesn't sound like a big deal. But James says it's a really, really big deal. But this is the way the world lives, brothers and sisters. And for the most part, this is the way the church world lives. They don't seek God's will. They just make their, their decisions, what they want to do. That's what they're going to do. 
And they don't realize the harm that that can bring to a person's life. The harm that it can bring to you individually. The harm that it can bring to other people. The harm that it can bring to a church. The harm that it can bring to God. What do I mean by bringing harm to God? I mean, what if you get out of the will? What if God has called you into the ministry and you've decided, well, I'm going to go an easier path because the ministry's too hard. You know what? There would be very few people preaching the gospel. Very, very few people, very few people preaching the word of God. Very few people in the ministry. Amen. If they made up their own choice. Because the path of ministry is hard. So if you want to, you just want to sit down and look at it and make decisions out of your own mind, what you think is best, and you don't seek God, what if God's got a different plan for you? Brothers and sisters, and what if that path that He has for you is a hard path? Do you think that you're going to, personally, do you think that you're going to look at that hard path and say, that's the path I'm going to go? No, humanly speaking, you're going to look at that hard path and say, I'm going to stay away from that. I'm going to find the easy path. I'm going to find the easy road. So if we don't seek God, let me just tell you, brother and sister, it'll bring harm to your life individually, it'll bring harm to your family, harm to your church, and harm to God, His kingdom, because you won't take that hard path. You with me today? Any, I would say anybody, you know, that's just making decisions for their life, just to, to have to kind of be a happy life and not be miserable, and you know, not to have to deal with much. You stay out of the ministry. That's a pastor telling you that. I will tell you this: if you can do anything in life, if you can do anything life in life, but the ministry, do it. With one exception. If it's God's will for you to be in the ministry, then you do the ministry. So I'm just showing you, if you and I make our own decisions, you're always going to go to the path of least resistance. You're going to go to the path that brings you more comfort because in our humanity, we don't like pain. You don't, I don't like to suffer and you don't like to suffer. So you're going to make decisions that are going to create for you the least amount of suffering and the least amount of pain. Amen? And you, you look at the old philosophers and, I, and I've studied some of those old philosophers and what, they, what their goals were and what their teachings were and one of the main things they went after was how can I escape pain in my life? How can I escape suffering in my life? How can I be happiest in my life? Amen? See, that's humanity. You'll always pick what's the least painful for you. What is advantageous to you? What's going to make you happy? You won't pick sometimes the will of God because the will of God is hard. Amen? This is, and I love, no, I, I thank God. It's an honor for me to be a pastor. It's an honor to have the call of God in my life. It's an honor. Please don't misunderstand me. But I'm going to tell you there are times when I get up in the morning and I say, Lord, I'm tired of being miserable. 
But I guess, God, this is just what you called me to do. You called me into the ministry, and I guess the ministry is about being miserable every day. And I just about, just so you know, just about every day of my life, I'm miserable. So who in their right mind, without a call of God in their life, would do the ministry? I don't know very many. I talk to people that I believe maybe have a, the, the hand of God in their life and they're running from the ministry as fast as they possibly can because they know, they see, they see what a pastor goes through. Say, I don't want to do that, man. Amen. You see what I'm telling you? So if you're this kind of, now I'm not asking, I'm not telling you that to feel sorry for me. I'm just telling you this is reality. Not many people would go into the service of God in ministry if they didn't know it was God's will, God's call in their life to do it. I'll tell you one thing, brothers and sisters, if I, could, if I could get out of the ministry and go out there and just get a regular job, I'd do it all day long. Praise the Lord. But because there's a call of God and there's a will of God in my life, that if I don't do that, I can bring harm to myself, harm to my family, harm to a church, and harm to God. So you have to seek the will of God in your life. What is the will of God? Praise the Lord. And it may be a hard path. That may be a path that's fraught with persecution. Your, your strong will your strong-willed child. God's will for them right now is to set them on a path of disappointment. To set them on a path where they're not, where things are not going to work out for them. That could be the will of God. And when they decide to turn away from that wayward lifestyle, we'll be there all day long to help them. But until they get to a place where they get back in the will of God, I'm not going to aid them. I'm not going to help them to go to another city and to do another thing that's only pushing them out of the will of God. Because it's going to hurt them, maybe their family, maybe the church and God's kingdom, and it may be eternal consequence. So we're over here trying to help people out of the will of God. Are you kidding me? Helping people go to hell. How is that that we could do that? Because we're not seeking the will of God. Logic, reason, and judgment. What we feel is the best decision to make. We want to make ourselves available. And we're literally helping people go from one place to another sometimes. And we're helping people to be out of the will of God. Instead of finding out from God, Lord, how do you look at this? What does the Scripture say about this? I submit my will to your will, God. I pray and seek your face, God. You could do things and you think you're doing a good thing, but you're not doing the right thing. You might be doing a good thing, but you're not doing the right thing. So when you plan plans in life, it's okay to plan plans in life. But you have to always say, what is God's will? You always have to say, if it be God's will for us to go here or to go there or to do this or to do that, then we will.
Deo valente is a Latin term, which means if God wills. Deo valente. You know, Christians, brothers and sisters, when they used to write letters in the Latin culture, they put Deo valente at the bottom of those letters. They would write a letter and they say, well, we're planning to do this and planning to do that. And when they got through writing it, Deo valente, which means if God wills, we will do this. You don't see that at the bottom of too many letters anymore. Deo valente. If God wills. It's what I want. It's, it's my desires. It's what I want in life. It's what I want in life. It's where I want to go. It's what I want to do. It's not about God. And God says when you do that, you are literally setting God aside. You are ignoring God. You're ignoring God's law when you do that. You're making yourself to be God. Deo valente should be on everything we do if it be God's will. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. If it be God's will. And don't say it just flippantly. You know, we're real good at that. We just, okay. We've made up our mind. This, we're going here and we're going there and this is what we're going to do. And, you know, and then we just say, if God wills. And it's flippant. We don't mean it. But if you've been taught the Word of God, you know what the Word of God says. That we're supposed to always say, if it be God's will. We know that, so we'll just kind of add it on there as a footnote. You know, This is my plan. I'm not going to change it even if it's not God's will. But I'm going to say, if it be God's will. He's not talking about just using it as a footnote. Deo valente. If it be God's will. It has to be something that's real in your life. You have to really, you have to really, you have to mean that from your heart. Say, God, you're in charge of everything that I do. Deo valente, God. If it's your will, I will go here and I will do that. If it's your will, I will marry this person or marry that person. If it's your will, I will go to this school or go to that school. If it's your will, I will take this job or not take this job. If it's your will, I'll go here, I'll go there. Only if it's your will, God. Anything left. That James says, come to now. He says, you need to wake up. If you're living this kind of lifestyle where you have left God completely out of the decisions of your life, Deo Valente, if God wills. Go to now ye, ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year. Look at this. This is the diary, man's diary. Man's diary says, I'm going here to this city. Man's diary says, this is the duration that I'm going to be in that city. Amen? Man's diary says, this is what I'm going to accomplish when I get in that city for that amount of time. Man's diary said it is to get gain. Really? You have that kind of power, that kind of control over what happens in life? Do you think that you're sovereign? That you're God? Amen? Amen? You leave God out. 
that you can say that you're going to go to this city and this is the amount of time you're going to be there and this is what you're going to accomplish when you're there? Do you understand, brothers and sisters, that you and I don't have control over what happens in our own health? And I say, well, yeah, you could work out, you could exercise, you could do your best to try to curb. You know what I mean? Do the best you can. But who knows here today that you're not going to get cancer and die in two weeks? I recently heard on the news a young a young lady. I think there was a uh, I don't remember the name of the, the brother, but he's he's well known. He sings in a a musical uh, music uh, group. This young lady was 18 years old. And they talked about this band, you know, this well-known, world, worldly, worldly band that's well-known about this brother in that band. His sister died. She was 18. You know how she died? She died of a heart attack. 18 years of age. Who dies of a heart attack at 18? They didn't receive it coming. I heard of one businessman, businessman uh, in charge of, of major, major things in business, didn't know it, had cancer. They diagnosing with cancer. He lasted two weeks. He was dead at 40. At 40. And here, here we are, as James says, you need to listen. You need to wake up. Come to now. This term, come to now, is a confrontational term. James is coming as a prophet to the church. Wake up. You have your diary laid out. Your plan's all planned. What if tomorrow you get diagnosed with cancer? Question for you, brothers and sisters. If you got a diagnosis tomorrow that you're going to die of cancer barring a miracle from God, and they told you you had one year to live, what would you change in your life today? If somebody told you you got one year to live, would you change anything in your life? Would you do anything different? How would it affect your service to God? Would it change your prayer life? Would it change the way you go to church, your faithfulness to God? Would it change anything in your life if somebody told you you got one year to live? I think most people would say, yes, I would change some things. It would change my life. Even as a pastor, it would change my life. About the goals that I have and things that I, I you know, want to do in life. Amen. What, how I use my life, what I do with my life. If I only had a year to live. Think about that. And this is what James is talking about. This is why he's so strong. Come to now. Wake up. Listen. Hallelujah. To what God is saying. You make these statements. You lay out your diary. Again, there's nothing wrong with planning plans. The problem is planning plans without God being in it. 
Are you sure you'll even be here tomorrow? <clears throat> the irreparable harm, brothers and sisters, in some cases, you can't turn it around. You make decisions that God wasn't in, and the suffering and the pain and the disappointment and the agony that comes to you, maybe you, your family, to a church, to the kingdom of God, and maybe eternal. You have to see things from an eternal perspective. What I do in life, how is that going to affect me in eternity? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What I've tried to show you is what we normally take for granted is not such a big deal, is a big deal to God. Planning plans without God is a big deal to God. Hallelujah. Yeah, I don't even know if I'll be here tomorrow. Nor do you. The prophets talk about, you know, man whose breath is in his nostril. You breathe. You're temporary. Your breath is in your nostril. You can stop breathing today. Go straight into eternity. The breath is in your nostrils, the prophet said. But in contrast, God is eternal. He doesn't breathe through the breath of His nostril, the eternal Spirit of God. He's eternal. We breathe. What if you stop breathing? It's over. And this is what James is talking about. So what is the will of God in my life is the most important thing that there is. God may want you to walk a hard path. Are you willing to do it? God may be, it may be His will for your wayward child to experience disappointments in life, to get them in His will. And here you are helping them along. Because you never ask God, God, how do you see this? What is your will? Let them go through what they got to go through. And then when they repent, then be there to help them. But you can't always be bailing them out of something that God has said in His will. This is the path they're going to take. It's going to be hard. God uses the destroyer to destroy. The Bible says the prophet, God created the destroyer to what? To destroy. He sends that red horse rider in the book of Revelation to take away peace. Peace. Who is the red horse rider in the book of Revelation? From a redemptive viewpoint, that's the Lord. I said from a redemptive viewpoint, the Lord is the rider on the white horse, the rider on the red horse, the rider on the black horse, the rider on the pale horse, from a redemptive viewpoint, what is he saying? He said, I'm going to ride to take peace from your earth. Why? So people will have a revelation of Jesus Christ. We got to get that antichrist out of you. We got to get that man nature out of you. We got to get that sinful nature out of you because it's hindering the revelation of Jesus Christ in your life. So he said, I'm going to send the red horse rider to take peace from your earth. So there can be an apocalypse of Jesus, a revelation of Jesus in your life. There are things that are hindering 
the appearing of Jesus in your life. And it's your own will and own decisions in life. This man, James, comes as a prophet. See, I told you, he's judging some people. But it's righteous judgment. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, it's pretty quiet in here right now. You're not running and shouting. Maybe you will tonight. But you're not running and shouting right now. It's quiet. It should be. We need to wake up and we need to listen. The diary, I planned it all out. Where I'm going. How long I'm going to be there when I get there. What my goals are when I get there. That's all fine. As long as you sought God. Did you seek God about your marriage? How many today, praise the Lord, don't lift your hand, but how many today say, Lord, if I was in the church, I'd have sought God about mine. I said, that's one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life. If I'd known what I know right now, I wouldn't have done it, praise God. Hallelujah. But what? You just did it. You know, it, and this love and infatuation and woo, hormones. They took over, man. You say, Lord. You said, Lord, give her to me. Now you say, Lord, take her away. <laughs> What is God's will for your life? Let me tell you something, brother. Some you, sisters, you get out of the will of God when it comes to marriage. It, you'll have hell on hell in your life for the rest of your life. Because once you get hitched, you're hitched. You better make sure you seek God's will because it's a struggle. Marriage is a struggle if you're in the will of God. If you're out of the will of God, you're gonna you're not gonna have heaven, man. I promise you right now. That's why I told you not long ago, some of you need to thank God when that door closed on that college. When you didn't get accepted at that college, at that school. You need to thank God when that door on that job closed. You need to thank God when what you wanted to do in life, God stepped in and overrode your will. Because let me just put it to you this way. If you would have had your will, if I'd have had my will, I'd be going to hell today. But God stepped in and He can override your will. And I thank God He overrode my will. Praise the Lord, church. You need to seek God. Did you pray about who you get married to? Or was that your decision? Did you pray about where you live? Did you pray about where you work? Did you pray about where you went to school? Did you pray about what your life is about right now? Or is it you making your own decisions? It's quiet in here. It's quiet. Put your name and say, it's quiet in here. That's why, brothers and sisters, I personally believe we have so many problems in life. Woo! We have so many problems, so many struggles, so many setbacks, so much loss, so much disappointment because we did not seek God, right? Look, your neighbor says, it's not too late right now. We can change the direction. 
You bought a car, man, you're going to be, you know, paying payments on it for six years. You should have said, God, should I buy this or buy that $2,000 clunker? Amen. Now you're locked into a payment for six years. That's your life five or six years and not in a good way. You know what I mean? Praise the Lord. Now you go to Brother Moses' dealership, Brother Moses' dealership, he'll tell you all day long, this is the thing to do. Because <laughs> you know, that's his job. <laughs> right? I don't think Brother Moses is going to say that. Now, did you seek God about this? <laughs> he, he's going to throw that contract out in front of you and say, that's a nice car, isn't it? Yeah, sign right here. Praise the Lord. But how many of you know there's a price to be paid? I'm not saying not do that. I'm not saying not to do that. I'm just saying you, we should seek God, hallelujah, about those decisions in our life. Praise the Lord. Man has his own diary. In verse 14. Whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. Are you God? Do you know the future? For what is your life? It is but a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. My life is a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. It appears for a little time and then what? Vanishes away. Puff of smoke. It's not a cloud. When you look up there and you see those clouds in the sky, you know, some people think it's, it's smoke. Puffs of smoke, you know, from things that were burning here on the planet. And the puffs of smoke gathered and became clouds. No, a cloud's not a puff of smoke. Amen. A puff of smoke, man. You know, you, you burn something and that smoke goes up. It just, it just disappears. It vanishes. And James says, You know not what tomorrow, what shall be on tomorrow. You've got your diary all planned out. And God's not in it. See, your life is like a puff of smoke. It's a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. It vanishes away. See, and this is something, especially young people, you need to listen. If you're a young, young person, you need to listen. Because when you're young, you're headstrong. When you're young, you've got a lot of dreams. Amen. And when you're young, you're planning plans. And this is what I'm going to do. And this is what I'm going to do. You know, where I'm going to go. Do you understand that your youth doesn't last forever? Life is but a vapor. It's a puff of smoke. I'm 56 years old. Think about that. 14 years from now, I'll be 70. Right? Where has time gone? Where has life gone? Where is my, you know, youth gone? It's gone. Man, I'm still trying everything I can to be young. That's why I'm lifting with Jerry back there. Hallelujah. Well, look at him. Praise the Lord. I want to look like him. Hallelujah. 
I told him the other day, I said, if I can do that, you can for sure do that. I said, look at you and look at me. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But it doesn't last forever. It's a vapor, brothers and sisters. I thank God, though, that when I got in the church, I got in the church at 18 years of age. And I've been living for the Lord for 18 years of age by His grace, faithfully. Been, been pastoring, praise the Lord. Pastoring about 30 years. Started pastoring when I was in my latter 20s. My first church. Say praise God. I thank God for that. Almost 40 years in the church of the living God. I thank God for that, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Because only one life to live so soon to pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. If it's not done for the Lord, it's not going to last. Use your youth. Use your vigor. Use your strength. Use your energy to further the kingdom of God. To serve God. And if it's His will for you to go to college, go to college. If it's His will for you to take that job, take that job. If it's your will, God's will for you to be this or be that, do it. If it's God's will for you to marry this one or that one, do it. But use your youth to serve God because there's going to come a time when you don't have the strength anymore. Use your headstrong determination, your self-will. Give yourself will to God and serve Him. Get on fire for God. When I got in the church 18 years of age, it wasn't too much longer after that. I wasn't married at the time. Teaching six, seven Bible studies a week. And I'm not boasting. I'm just telling you. That when God saved me, I told you, I gave myself to the world for 18 years. When I got in the church, I gave myself to God. And I'm not saying I did six or seven Bible studies every week, but there were times I looked at my calendar, I had six or seven Bible studies. Well, I could do it then because I didn't have a family. Praise the Lord. I could use my youth, my strength, my vigor to serve God. Say hallelujah. Woo! Then God called me into the ministry. I got, got born again, baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost at 18 years of age. Now five years later, God called me into the ministry to be a pastor. And when I was only eight years old in the Lord, we went to another church to prepare to be a pastor of that church. Are y'all here today? And in those days, God required a lot from me. When I was in preparation for ministry, he required a lot from me. Things that people didn't, didn't necessarily understand. But I gave my life to God. I gave my life to do his call in my life. Praise the Lord. Spending time studying, teaching Bible studies, seeking to win the law, serving the pastor that, of the church that I was in at the time. Are y'all here today? And God then one spoke to me. And in those days, sort of like it is now, I used to like to lift, used to like to work out big time. And this, this one guy was in a gym and this one guy told me, he said, I want to train you to be a, he wanted to train me to be a bodybuilder. And uh, I, so I was lifting with him for a while and I quit. And he, he asked me, he said, why did you quit? 
I said, because I've been called into the ministry and I have to focus my time on pre preparing to go into the ministry. He said, you can do this and do that too. I said, I can't. Because God told me to set it aside. And it wasn't until I turned about 40 years of age later on that God told me, release me to do this again, to lift again. But you see, when God comes to you and says, this is my will. Are you willing to set your desires aside? Are you willing to clear the decks? Clear the decks of what you want, of your desires in life. Clear the decks. And say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I want this with all I, I wanted, God. This is what I want. I've always wanted this, God. God says that's not my will for your life. Clear the decks. Pray and submit to God and clear the decks. Say, God, if it's not what I don't want it, if you don't want it, I'm clearing the decks, God. If it's not your will in my life. I'm asking you today. Some of you young people. Where is your zeal for God? To teach Bible studies. To win the lost. To serve God. Where is it? Most of the energy today. Is well I'm one, I've got to go to school. I've got to go to work. I've got to do all these things. Forget God. I don't have time for God. I want to play this. I want to play that. Did you ask? Did you seek God about that? He's not against you going to school. He's not against you taking a particular job. He's not against you being in sports. He's not against that. He's just saying, did you seek me about that before you did it? Come to now. Wake up. Listen. Years and years ago, I sat across my desk in my office and I talked to a young woman, just a beautiful young woman. I think she had a great spirit. And, man, she had her kid and everything that you could think of but the things of God, but the church. And I told her, I said, you know, I said, you got this young lady involved in everything but the things of God. You think that's going to work? You think she's going to continue to live for the Lord? Well, neither one of them's in the church anymore. Your kid's so occupied, man. So it's okay if you sought God. But you could put your kids in so many things and leave God out, leave the church out. It's not a priority. You think they're going to make it? God has to be a priority. Amen? We don't have a promise of tomorrow. If our life's like a perfect smoke. Phew, disappear. If that's true about, you know, if that's true in general, it's true about me, 56 years old. How about some of y'all? You're a bit older than I am. We don't have much time left, do we? How about some of you young, young bucks? Young bucks. Are you on fire for God? 
Have you, have you gone to God and say, God, have you called me into the ministry? Have you asked God about that? Oh, no, no, you don't want to do that, do you? Because that's a hard path and you know it. But that's what I'm saying. What is the will of God? How many of y'all want problems in your life? You want troubles in your life? You want, you want years maybe because of a wrong decision, a wrong direction, a wrong path that you took. Come on. And that grace of God will help you if you've made some bad decisions in the past without God being in it. The grace of God, I believe, will help you in those situations that you can't change. He knows that. Amen. It's a lot better not to make them. So your youth, you know, life in general is like a puff of smoke. Your youth, brothers and sisters, is for sure like a puff of smoke, man. That energy you got, that vigor you got, man, that, yeah, that headstrong determination you got, it, it doesn't to last forever. You'll look up in the mirror and you'll start having, you'll see gray hairs. Amen. <coughs> Praise the Lord. But that wasn't with old age, was it? How, how old, how young? 27? Gray hair, he says, he says, or no hair. <laughs> Praise God, amen. But that's the way it is, is it? You look up, and it pretty soon, brother, that what you do have would be all gray. You know. Man, I was looking at looking at Red Hot, Professor Tim. He's a professor at Odessa College, you know, math professor at Odessa College. And um, called into the ministry. He put the ministry first. I tell you that. He's put the ministry first. Okay. But I look at him sometimes in the video. Man, look at them gray hairs. My goodness, man. That's all that wisdom and brain power he's got. Smarts, man. You know. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. But it happens, doesn't it? Well, you know, you look in the mirror. Wow. Is that you? <laughs> Is that you? My goodness. Pretty soon you walk by the mirror and you don't even want to look at the mirror anymore. You just kind of go, you know, just. <laughs> Brother Timothy said, brush his teeth in the dark. <laughs> Amen. I think that could be done, right? You kind of feel around in there and, you know. <laughs> but it happens. Our beauty is vain. It doesn't last forever. What's the will of God? You look at that, look at that woman, man, and you decide to be with her just, just based on looks only. You need to ask her, can you sing for the Lord? Praise the Lord. I remember one of us, he had to make a decision between two women. One was really beautiful and the one not as beautiful. And uh, he had to make a decision between those two. 
And the one that was really beautiful couldn't sing. And he's an evangelist. And the one that, that wasn't quite so beautiful, she could really sing. Which one do you think he took? The beautiful one. <laughs> no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know the outcome of that story. <laughs> I just re I just remember he was talking about it, you know. But if I remember correctly, I think he said every time he saw her, he looked at her and he said, Sing, baby, sing. <laughs> sing, baby, sing. Hallelujah. He remembered the pretty one. He looked at that one and said, Sing for me. <laughs> but it is, man. It's vain. You know, can't make decisions like that. Youth doesn't last forever. Are they going to are they going to be on fire for the Lord? That person you marry, they're going to stay on fire for the Lord. Are they going to hinder your walk with God? Are they going to help you serve God or hinder your service to God? Are they going to pull on you to be worldly and carnal? Are they going to help you be spiritual? Those are the kind of questions you got to ask. a puff of smoke. For that you ought to say if the Lord will. Look at your name and say if the Lord wills. That's what we should be saying. The Lord wills. Deo Valente. Look at your neighbor and say Deo Valente. What did you learn in church? I learned how to speak Latin. <laughs> Deo Valente. If God wills, you write your letters and your plans and at the bottom of it. Just start, start writing Deo Valente, Deo Valente, Deo Valente. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You got plans on the future? How many of y'all have plans? Man, you're really hoping they come to pass too. And you're doing everything you can to make them happen, make them happen, make them happen. Deo Valente. You, you go in the prayer room and say, Deo Valente. Oh, that's, that's, the only prayer that you have is Deo Valente. If the Lord wills, if God wills. Amen. Aren't you wish you knew this before you got married? Or got that job? Or moved to that city? Or went to that school? And you get a, you get on the wrong path, you make the wrong decisions, go the wrong direction. The harm that can bring to your life, to other people, to a church, to God, and maybe eternally your soul. Day over take if God wills. Now, how can I know the will of God? If it depends on me knowing the will of God for my life. And I'm supposed to say, if God wills, well, well, how do I know the will of God? How can you determine the will of God for your life? When you pray, how many of y'all ever heard an audible voice from heaven? Not too many spiritual people in here. There's not one person that lifted their hands that heard an audible voice from heaven. Wow. So how are you going to know the will of God then? 
I remember those early years when I was feeling feeling called into the ministry. I prayed and fasted, you know, to get the direction to get God's confirmation on that call. And I said, Lord, if it's your will for me to go in the ministry, I'm going to go on a fast and I'm going to fast till you send me an angel. No, I'm not kidding you. That's what I told God. I said, I'm going to fast till you send an angel. One day went by. Two days went by. Three days went by. Four days went by. No angel. Somehow we ended up at K-Bob's. And I said, give me the chicken fry. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know what I'm saying? Man, if an angel can't get to me within four days, give me the chicken fry. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, man. Hallelujah. You know? Now, I remember one time, how many of y'all ever heard of Lee Stone King? Okay? I remember I was in a conference and Lee Stone King was preaching, you know, and man, that, that man walks with angels. And uh, so after he got through preaching, I kind of made my way to the front and I kept my eyes on him. And I said, Lord, and I was sitting there praying. I said, Lord, if you've called me into the ministry, let Lee Stone King come down and tell me that. And I stood there and I stood there and I looked at and I watched him every move he made. And, and I watched him walk right by me. And Lee Stone King never said one word to me. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, I mean, so how can you know the will of God if God doesn't come and speak to you in an audible voice or send you an angel or what, you know, or give you a dream or a vision? He can do that if He chooses to. But most of the time, God doesn't Show you His will by audible voices, dreams and visions and angel visitations. He doesn't do that most of the time. He can. So how do you know, how can you determine the will of God? If we're seeking God for His will. Well, first of all, you have to pray. So what you want to do, what your plans are, it seems good, seems uh, like the right thing to do. Put God in it. And you go to God with those plans and you say, Lord, I want your will in my life. If this is your will for me to go to this school or to have this job or whatever it might be, major decisions. I'm not talking about if you run out of groceries. Amen. I'm not talking about if your car is about to run out of gas. You don't have to say, God, is it your will for me to go get gas? God, is it your will for me to go buy groceries? God, give me a vision. Do I go to, do I go to Piggly Wiggly or do I go to... You don't have to do that. I'm not talking about little things in life. Go put gas in your car. Wherever you want to put gas in your car. Okay? Go, you need groceries? Just go to the grocery store and buy groceries. Amen? You don't have to have a vision from God for everything. Thank God for that, right? Just com sanctified common sense. But on major decisions, 
You need to seek God. Number one, how do I know the will of God? Again, I've never heard an audible voice from God. I hear His voice from within my spirit, but not an audible voice from heaven. Amen. Very rarely has He ever sent me angels. Very rarely He has, but very rarely has ever sent angels to me. He has, but very rarely. And do you know it wasn't even about me when He did? It was about you. You with me? So what do you do then? You get this idea, these plans, this is what you want to do. What do you do? First of all, you pray to God. Pray. Seek God. Bring it before the Lord. Number two, or you could put this one, number one, submission to the will of God. Now if you pray, God, I want your will in this, then you have to be willing to submit what you want to God's will. You can't say, God, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. Thank you, Lord. God, give her to me, give her to me, give her to me, give her to her. I want her. I know she's the one. Thank you, Lord. It's, it's Deo Valente. God, what is your will? God, okay, here's, here's what I'm thinking, Lord. Here's my plans. Lord, but I want your will in it. If it's not your will, I don't want it. I want your will. So, Lord, I submit my plans to your will. And if you say no, God, it's no. If you say yes, Lord, it's yes. Even if it goes against what I want. Not my will, but your will be done. I'm not going to try to manipulate. I'm not going to walk on people to make it happen. If it's your will, God, I'm trusting you to bring it to pass. Even if it goes against everything. If it's your will, you can bring it to pass. But if it's not your will, Lord, I submit that to you. So prayer, look at your name and say prayer. Submission. Number two. We'll just put those two together. Number two. Clear the decks. Clear the decks. What I mean by that? Get rid of all your desires. Remove all your desires and all your wants. Just get rid of them. Clear the decks. Hallelujah. And say, God, now, I've cleared the decks. I'm removing what I want. I'm removing my desires. So now, God, what do you want for my life? Amen. See, most people don't clear the decks. They go in there and they say, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. Amen. Number four, or number three. After I prayed and submitted to God, after I cleared the decks, the next one is... When I'm making a decision in my life about the will of God, what does the Scripture say about the right and wrong of that decision? You'll be surprised at how much the Bible addresses the issues of your life. Now, if the Bible clearly says that's wrong, you can't do it. Because you this is the will of God. Amen? 
For example, now you're the, you're, some preachers even hear crazy stuff because they want to hear it. One preacher said he claimed that God told him to divorce his wife and to marry another sister. You think God would tell him to divorce his wife and marry another sister when that goes against the Scripture? God bless your heart, Juicy Fruit. God didn't tell you to do that. You make God a liar. So that third thing, after you prayed and you submitted and you cleared the deck, said you, what does the Bible say? Praise God. Look at your neighbor. Do you care what the Bible says? What does the Scripture say? Okay, next thing. Think it through. You've got to think it through. You've got to spend time. You have to, to, to look at your plans. Look at all of these things that you're wanting to do. Amen? Hallelujah. Next thing is counsel. Godly counsel. If you've got to this point, if you've prayed, you've submitted, you've cleared the decks, you've looked at the Scripture, and you still are in the process, you haven't had no on any of this, you're still in the process of trying to make a decision, the next step is godly counsel. And I don't know what it is today, but people are, I think it's pride is what it is. Pride. I'm going to do what I want to do and nobody's going to tell me what I want to do and what I'm going to do. So I'm not going to talk to, let me put it to you this way, not just counsel, but trusted counsel. Somebody that you, you trust in your life as a trusted counselor, man. They've got, a, they've got a history. They've got a proven record that when they counsel you, it's going to be the right thing. In the multitude, the Bible says, in the multitude of counselors, there are safety. You're trying to make a hard decision, but you're going to try to, you're just going to do it on your own, and you never seek the counsel, trusted counsel. You're going to avoid your safety, your protection. Amen. Very, very there are times where I've needed to talk to somebody. And I'll run some things by Brother Edmonds, the missionary in Taiwan. I'll run them by him. You know? Why? Because I need some input outside of myself. Praise the Lord. Godly counsel is important. And it, that counselor or that godly counselor, somebody you can trust sits down and wants to help you in your life and look it out for you, sees the blind spots that you don't see. Right? So, you know, if you do this, you may not be seeing this right now, but this could be the outcome. Oh, yeah, that, that's great. Praise the Lord. That, that feels right. That, that looks right. It's a good decision. You know. How many of y'all go for God and counsel? In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. You're the kind of person that you never seek counsel of trusted counselors in your life. 
you're going to have problems. You're going to have trouble. You're going to make bad decisions. And all you had to do is pick up the phone. And maybe years of trouble would not have happened. Amen? The next thing is, God overrides it. What I mean by that is, you pray, God, if this is not your will, override this. I pray it like this when I'm making a decision. I said, Lord, if this is not your will, shut the door. Shut the door. And I mean that when I pray, I really mean that. God, shut the door. Override this. Hallelujah. And God can override that. God can step in and change your mind. Say praise the Lord. See what happens instead of God coming to you with an audible voice or an angel or a vision from heaven. What He's doing is when you seek Him, He's going to sharpen your mind. Look at your neighbor and say, He's going to sharpen your mind. That's what's going to happen. God, shut this door, Lord. Well, when you say shut the door, He may be just sharpens your mind, gives you the ability to see things the way they should be seen. Sharpens the mind so you think right. Amen. God overrides. I thank God for times He overrode my will. I'd be a mess today. Number seven, you'll get this assurance about you. There's an assurance if you're in God's will. You feel this assurance, this confidence, if you will, from God. You have a peace about it. Don't you never say it's assurance? You have, you have a peace about something. Now, whoa, notice this is way down the list. This doesn't happen, number one. This happens way down the list. This is number seven. Because if you start with that one at number one, well, I have peace about it. <laughs> you don't have any people who have peace about it, and it wasn't nothing but World War Three. You had peace about it. How did you have peace about it? How did it turn out to World War Three? See, that's misguided. You could have peace about something and it'd be misguided. That's why it's got to be number seven on the list. Amen. So he said, well, I had peace about it, Pastor. I'd look at you and say, what does that mean? I've seen a lot of people have peace about things. It didn't work out. Praise the Lord. So you have assurance. Or, on the other hand, you'll get a check. Now, only people who have the Holy Ghost experience this. Holy Ghost. Let me define that. Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. That's the proof you've been filled with the Holy Ghost. Only people who have the Holy Ghost have what I call a check in their spirit. You'll be, you'll be planning plans, talking talk, saying things, and all of a sudden, man, you'll get a check in your spirit. It, it just, what happens to me, I don't know if this is going to help you or not, but what happens to me, I get like a kick right in my stomach. Inside, not outside. Inside. Now that isn't, that, isn't that wild? I've been sitting, I have sat in my office and I have said something and I'll get a check in my spirit. 
It's like an umpire goes off in me. And when I hear that check, get that check in my spirit, I'll be talking to the people and say, oh, I just got a check in my spirit. I need a we need to change that, that word, that direction. I just got a check in my spirit. Hallelujah. Because see, even a, a pastor that's, hold, that's filled with the spirit can move into his own intellect. He's trying, based on logic, re, good, you know, logic, reason, and judgment, the best decision you can make. But that might not be God's will. It might be pretty good wisdom. But that check in the spirit, don't do that. Now, if you you ever get a check in your spirit, and God says it's like an umpire. Y'all know what an umpire is? The umpire says, "Strike one, strike two, strike three, you're out." That's what it's like. No, I don't. Okay. If you ever get a check in your spirit about anything in your life, do not override that check in your spirit. Because God is trying to save you from a lot of trouble. Hallelujah. How many of y'all ever got a check in your spirit? You know what I'm talking about. You know? Okay. Thank God for that check. So you'll either have an assurance, a peace about it, or you're going to have a check in your spirit. Don't do it! Hallelujah. Amen. I talked to one young lady not long ago, and she told me, after all the plans were planned, and I'm not near, she's not here today, so it's not anybody here. But she told me, after all the plans were planned to get married, she told me, the day of the wedding, she said, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it. I said, you should have said something. Well, the church was there. The people were there. We already had already done the work, you know, and and but it's too serious. She said, the Lord told me not to do it. But you see that pressure, that peer pressure to do it was on her. I told her, you should have said something. It wouldn't have mattered. I said, the people of the church would have understood. Brothers and sisters, it ended in divorce. See, that, that was the grace of God. The grace of God stepped in there and was letting her know, don't do it. But you know that peer pressure, brothers and sisters, that come, man, Upon you to do things that God has told you to know. If God put a check in your spirit to not do it, you're wise to say, I can't do this because God has said no. And it doesn't matter what people think. They'll have, they just, you know, you're not trying to hurt anybody, but they're just going to have to get over it. Because you can't make that kind of mistake. So that peace comes. And again, this is way down the list. Peace, assurance, or a check in your spirit. Hallelujah. 
I thank God for it. When you just turn to God with everything you have, you turn it all over to God. You take those seven steps. Amen. You pray, you submit, you clear the decks. Is this the right thing according to Scripture? Think it through. Get counsel. God overrides it sometimes. You have assurance or a check in your spirit. Amen. You turn it all over to God. And if you go through all of those things right there and you, you'll be, I'll tell you, by the time you get to the end of that, you will be, you will know whether or not the decision you're making, major decision that you're making in your life is the right one or not. So I can't just stand up here and tell you what not to do. I've got to tell you how to find the will of God. And this is how you find the will of God. Now, from time to time, He may give you a dream. He can speak audibly. He can give an angel. He can do that. But most of the time, He doesn't do that. Because He wants you to go through the process. Amen? Aren't you thankful that God, if you trust Him, can, can save you from so much harm? So He goes on, as I come to a conclusion today, for, for that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boasting. All such rejoicing is evil, said James. Amen. He said it's evil. Now, the word evil here doesn't, is not a moral term. When he said evil, he's not talking about something moral or immoral. The word evil means it's harmful for you. That's what this word means. Amen. You may go to that city. You may spend a year. You may get gain while you're there. But how much harm is going to come? The harm to yourself, to the harm to your family, the harm to your church, the harm to the kingdom of God, the harm to God. Right? You know, if I, if I decided one day, I said, you know what? I think I'm just going to take about, oh, maybe a year off. Hallelujah. I'm just going to take a year off and I'm going to travel. Oh, I'd love to do that. Okay. Well, am I hurting myself, my family, the church? What about the church? What about God? Amen. We go once a year, you know, and, and we go for, what, about four weeks to six weeks sometimes. And it's difficult anyway. Just that amount of time. And I know y'all just, I know, and I appreciate your patience. I appreciate your patience. Y'all probably say, well, you probably could do it within two weeks. Okay, yeah, well, you know, amen. But I'm going to ask God. I'm going to say, God, you know, what's your will? But anyway, I appreciate your patience. But man, you know, basically all of that time, I mean, you just don't, anyway, I'm not going to make excuses, but you still got to seek God. But I'm just asking you, what if I decided I'm going to take a year off? Well, I might need to. There's some pastors who take a sabbatical year. They take a whole year off. But what's that going to do to the church? See, you have to ask those kind of questions. If I go here, if I do that, how is it going to affect my life, my family, other people? The church, the kingdom of God is going to hurt God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Somebody going to get hurt in this deal? Remember what I'm about to tell you as I come to a, conclu a conclusion here today. 
Remember this. God will never hurt somebody else to help you. He'll never hurt somebody else to help you. Amen. So if we go through life and we don't seek the will of God, he says what that's going to produce is evil. Harm. It's going to be harmful. Amen. Now people, oh yeah, they're so happy. So happy. Oh, yay, yay, yay. We bought a new house. Yay, yay, yay. We moved to a new city. Yay, yay, yay. Yay. Really? Never sought God about it. People plan plans. I want to tell you, there are some people, they get sideways with the church. They get unhappy with the church. You know why ultimately, why they do that? They never said it. But they were planning plans. And the church wasn't a part of that plan. God's will wasn't a part of that plan. That's why they started acting squirrely. You start watching people in the church. They've been in the church for a while. They start acting squirrely. That means they're planning plans and God ain't in it. That's right. And they feel threatened. Their plans feel threatened. So they start getting squirrely. See? So then they got to point a finger. Yeah. Just give it time. You'll find out what it was all about. They were planning plans and God wasn't in it. Church wasn't in it. Squirrely. Now, I wouldn't want to be in their shoes today. Because you plan plans without God. You plan plans without the will of God in your life. Uh, yeah, okay, go ahead and do it. But watch what happens over time. James says, harm is coming. Amen. No, even the will of God. Okay. Just the Holy Ghost is speaking to us this morning. And you look at the Apostle Paul, even when it came to Paul talking about when he's talking about going to Corinth. When he's talking about that, he's Deo Valente. He didn't speak it, but he, is it God's will? When he was planning on plans in relationship to the ministry, he always he would say, if it be God's will, we'll go here. If it be God's will, we'll do this. He would say that. Look at how many times Paul says in the book of Acts and in the epistles, how many times God, Paul says, if it be God's will, in relationship to the work of God. There are some people today, uh, just you know, well, God told us to go reach the world. So they catch a plane and fly over here, fly over there. They never even, well, it must be God's will for me to go. Paul said, if it be God's will, I'll go. Just because God told us to win the lost and reach the world doesn't mean it's God's will for you to go. You've got to seek God's will. You get over there, man, you could be destroyed. Amen. Say, praise the Lord. Your family could be wiped out. 
you know, praise the Lord. Are y'all awake? James said, come to now. That means wake up. It's not because he's, got a, he's long-winded. He, see, he only had like a few verses. He wasn't long-winded like me. Praise the Lord. It didn't take him long to say that, did it? It's taken me almost two hours. Well, I remember a long time ago, you know, we talked about being called to the ministry. Well, we, ultimately, we went before the... Um, the uh, board, the organizational board, the days when I was in the organization, and um, to get our license, they called the first license local license, the next license a general license, the third one's ordination. So I was going for my the local license, the first one. Amen. And while I was there, filling this call into the ministry, fixing to get my license, guess what happened? I went and sat down in the cafeteria and right in front of me there were some people from Gallup, New Mexico. They were needing a pastor. And I overheard that conversation. And when I overheard them speaking about they needed a pastor, I started thinking, well, I'm called to be a pastor. I'm here to get my license. Hey, you need a pastor? Maybe it's me. It must be me. You know, why would God have put me there and them talking about needing a pastor when I'm feeling called a pastor? So it must be me. Thank God I went to my pastor back here in Odessa, Texas, and I sat down with him, and he said, Brother Carter, he said, let me talk to you. make a long story short, he said, no. <laughs> All right? And you know what I did? I listened to my pastor. And I thank God that I did. Hallelujah. But he sat down and he talked to me and he said, now this is, if you go there, this is what's, what's going to happen when you get there. He said, that's Indian culture. And he said, they live in the mountains. And he said, the only time they come into the city is on the weekend to get drunk. And he said, after they get drunk, they go back up in the mountains and you don't see them. You know, praise the Lord. I said, oh, wow, I don't know if I would have. He basically was telling me, you're basically going to a mission field if you do that. He taught me out of it real quick. See what I'm saying? So I had a, I had a, a righteous uh, desire, a godly desire to be a pastor, to be a minister of the Word of God. And here they are. They're talking about needing a pastor. So I thought, well, I can feel that. I can take care of that. Thank God I talked to my pastor. He said no. And shortly thereafter, the Lord opened the door and trained for me to be a pastor. But I listened to my pastor. I didn't override him. And I could have said, Bless God. Bless the name of the Lord. I'm going to Gallup. I don't care what you say. I've been called by God. 
I thank God I didn't get that attitude. Because I took a church in Crane 30 miles away from my hometown. And we lasted a little over a year. It was so hard. I would have never survived hundreds of miles from my hometown, my first church. I would have never survived it. I see it now. Amen. So that's why it's important. Paul said it over and over. If it be God's will, Dea Valente. If it be God's will. If it be God's will. If it was important for him as an apostle, it's important for you as an apostle. As a saint of God. Even in the service of God. Hallelujah. You get you get connected with certain people in the mission field. They don't they have ulterior motives you don't know about. There's all kinds of stuff going on in them, and you appoint them into leadership positions and they'll steal you blind. They'll take advantage of you in a heartbeat. That's why you have to be extremely in tune with God. Amen. There are certain apostles of certain nations. They will not appoint anybody into leadership without them first going on a 30-day fast. You want to be in the leadership in their church? Tudor Bismarck is the one who said this. Tudor Bismarck said, if you want to be a leader in leadership in one of his churches, you have to fast 30 days. And he said the reason for that is this. He said that they were putting people in leadership positions and those people were infiltrating the church and poisoning the pastors. Poisoning them. So he said, we're going to fix this. If you want to be a leadership in this church, you'll fast 30 days. Anybody that fasts 30 days, they're probably for real. That's the point. See, so what happens is we can make a bunch of decisions and God's not in it. And then ask God for God's blessing to be upon it. Get you in a lot of trouble, man. Okay. All right, it's 12.30. I know you're getting hungry, so I'm going to finish. But I'm trying to help you today. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get poisoned by anybody. I've been bit a few times. I can show you the teeth marks. You know, but we've been here 25 years. 25 years you're going to have, you're going to experience some things. Hallelujah. But I'm still breathing, thank God. None of you, none of you putting any strychnine in my, my water. It gets serious. So even Paul said, in relationship to the to the work of God. What is the will of God? And then you go through those seven steps and you make sure that you're in the will of God. See? Now I will tell you this. If God gave me a dream about doing something and I went to my pastor and I sat down with my pastor and I said, Pastor, God gave me a dream to go here and to do this. If he said no, dream over, dream out. I'm listening to him. 
How can you be so sure, Pastor? Because I'm going to tell you why. Because if you submit yourself to the authority that God has placed over your life, if you obey Him, you think God's going to say, He's going to come after you for doing that? No. He'll bless you for doing that. And if it's really God's will, He can talk to the man of God. And the man of God said, you know, I said no yesterday, but God spoke to me the last few hours, last few days. God spoke to me that that dream was from God. Go. But if you don't speak to the man, to the headship that's in my life, I'm not going to bypass that. I'm not going to do it. I don't care how many dreams, how many angels appear to me. God, then, then what do I do? I go to God and say, God, you speak to the man of God. And if this is really from you, then you'll speak to him. Because I don't want to make a mistake. We got too many crazy people doing their own thing, man. I don't care how many dreams you have. You bypass God's divine authority in your life, you're going to be you're going to be in some strange fire. Say praise the Lord, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. So Paul always sought God's will, even doing the work of God. It's important, brothers. Did you understand that? Hallelujah. Okay. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. He said it's sin. It's not only going to bring harm to your life, but it's a sin against God Almighty if you don't put God, the sovereignty of God, the control of God, and seek God's will in your life. It is a sin to do that. Go to now. Wake up. Listen. Seek God's will in your life. Amen. And amen. To the place of harm and the place of sin, you know what you'll have? If you humble yourself before the Lord, I think he said it already in the Bible, in verse 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the what? Humble. You humble yourself, pray, submit your will to God, seek God's will in your life, take those steps that I gave to you this morning. Amen. God's going to what? Help you. What advantage is it to say, not my will, but God's will be done? What advantage is it to say, the will of God? What advantage is it? God, look at your neighbor and say, God will help me. How many of y'all want God's help? God will help me. Amen? God will protect you if you're in His will. How many of y'all want God to protect you? How many of you want more discernment? You, you submit your will to God. And it's amazing. The more you say yes to God, the more discernment He's going to give you. You say, I need more discernment. Then you just keep obeying the will of God and seeking the will of God. And He will increase discernment in your life. So He'll help you. He'll protect you. He'll give you discernment. He will keep you Amen? From getting out of His will in the sense that He'll step in and defeat the enemy in your life. Because you have sought God. God will fight. He'll send His angels. He'll do battle for you. And the enemy will be defeated in your life. Therefore, 
it will keep you from getting out of His will. Say praise the Lord. Say victory in your life. Would you stand? That's what you get if you seek God's will and submit to it. Hallelujah. I'm going to get ready to let you leave.